Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Really wanted to get uh, some insight here. We are recording on the afternoon of November 30th in about 8-10 hours. The Major League Baseball collective bargaining agreement expires. I think this is always fascinating when you get to an expiration of a CBA, which of course is the governing document of the league and whether it can operate business-wise as usual. Well, my saying is deadline spur action. We're going to see if that's true. Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball Players Association have not, at this time, have not reached a court on a new CBA, which could mean the path that I've covered so often with the NBA and the NFL, lockouts, decertification, all that. But let's not go there yet. I wanted to bring in someone right on top of it, someone I admire, been a longtime fan of from ESPN, my colleague, Buster Olney, to tell us about it and go inside the meetings. It's what's happening now. Buster, thanks for coming on and being a voice on this. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for the uh, kind words in your, uh, you know, your, your description of the impact. The deadline is dead on in this case because, from what I understand, uh, the two sides basically met overnight, uh, Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, uh, as they get closer to that deadline, and and, and it does seem to have spurred a, a lot of conversations. And a lot of action, and I'd say that about 4 o'clock on Tuesday, it felt like that there was a growing pessimism about Mm. where this was going. But then the players went back to the owners on Tuesday evening, and and they are working off of that. And, you know, I'm hearing a lot more about hope uh, that something will get done. Yeah, and big picture, Buster, where, you know, I've read reports that revenues are approaching $10 billion. So naturally, the natural reaction is, Oh, my God, how would they not be able to divvy that up? And things are so great. And we're coming off this incredible World Series. But inside the, the, the players in this, we have a relatively new commissioner, Rob Manfred. And I say relatively new because he's new, but he's a longtime veteran of these negotiations. In fact, the point man on these. On the other side, uh, the, the late, great Michael Weiner, of course, passed. Weiner, I apologize for that. And... Uh, Tony Clark is doing his first CBA negotiations. Sort of take us inside the dynamic between the two sides and negotiating, obviously, the first time for both of them in the lead role. Yeah, and I think that that's part of the reason why uh, that we are where we are. There, there, there's a lot of surprise from folks on, with folks on both sides that they haven't finished this uh, because of what you're talking about. You know, the, the industry... Uh, being at $10 million, the players making record salaries, the owners doing great, you know, a great 2016, uh, you know, record TV ratings with the Cubs there winning the World Series, so much conversation. And also, you know, at a time when it hasn't gone so well for the NFL and maybe an opportunity for Major League Baseball to, uh, you know, to to get some, some space back. And... And that's why I do think the fact that the conversations between MLB and the union, it, it, it compared it to the other day, a little bit like, you know, Mars and Venus and <laughs> oil and water. And it's like one side has been speaking Greek and the other one's been speaking Japanese. It feels <laughs> like they talk past each other so much. Um, you know, Rob, when he was a lead negotiator for Major League Baseball, he and Michael had such a, a strong 
working relationship that the two of them, in, in hearing uh, agents describe it, they feel like that they would identify the common ground and then they would figure out a path to get there. And those conversations would take place over a long period of time. Well, in this case, with Dan Hallam now as a lead negotiator for Major League Baseball, the, the tone of the conversations, the, the volume of the conversations really has been very different. Uh, and, and early in the summer, I was hearing you know, frustration of Major League Baseball side saying, geez, how come we're not getting going? You know, mm. We feel like that we don't have any big sticking points. We feel like we should be able to get a deal done. And you know, there's some confidence that maybe they would announce it at the All-Star game. But we just need to start meeting. And yet it was almost for, for a few months like the two sides were just talking past each other. Yeah, it's interesting because any multi-issue negotiation, I always say no issues done until they're all done. So, you know, I know we don't want to get too deep into the issues, Buster, but it just seems like, and I know you'll say this, it just there aren't these huge issues that would be holding up a CBA, but there are a few that I've read from you and others that sort of sticking points one major one, I guess not major, but, you know, in the other sports, I talk a lot about a, th a three-letter word called cap. There is none in baseball, but there's a three-letter word called tax. It seems like the owners are trying to push that amount up. I'm sorry, to keep that amount where it is, the, the players want to push it up. It's a little bit of differences over what teams would pay over that. Where are we on that tax issue? Well, and that's, you know, the, one of the primary issues from the union side is they want to get rid of the qualifying offer. They want to get rid of draft pick compensation being tied to free agents because they feel like that, you know, veteran players uh, like Kenny Morales a few years ago, like Kyle Loesch, uh, those guys, you know, wait years to become free agents, and they were greatly affected in the eyes of the union by the fact that they were tied to draft pick compensation. So they, the union wanted to eliminate that, and the uh, the owners have signaled to the union, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely talk about eliminating that, but, okay, in the horse trading, what right. we'd like is, uh, you know, with the tax, maybe there'll be some compensation, you know, draft pick compensation if you go too high on that. Uh, maybe there'll be a situation where teams are not only – taxed on, uh, you know, on a luxury tax, but perhaps on their entire payroll. Uh, those are some of the, the various things that I've heard, uh, mm. you know, talked about. And the players feel like, wait, that's really just another way to cap spending. But the reality is, is that uh, if you're, you know, if you're Major League Baseball and you're willing to give up the qualifying offer, I think their perspective is, okay, what are we going to get in return? They had initially asked for an international draft, uh, the Players Association balked at that idea, and they've been kicking around different forms uh, of that as the thing that would be traded in return for the qualifying offer. The last I heard late on Tuesday night was that the competitive balance tax, which is a luxury tax you're talking mm -hmm. about, was the big issue on the table that they were trying to work through. And let me ask you about that, because I think a lot of people say, well, you know, Yankees, Dodgers, maybe Red Sox, maybe Cubs, whatever the tax is, they don't care. They'll go over it. They'll do anything to win. They have so much revenue. You know, I think someone like you can expound on whether that truly is the case. And maybe there's some teams not named them that really do operate with the tax in mind and everything they do. No doubt about it. Um, and, and you've heard plenty of examples through the years of teams uh, that, you know, had money, uh, very strong financial standing, 
but they were not interested in the idea of paying extra. Uh, you know, the Angels have been one of those teams under Artie Moreno. They mm-hmm. don't like to go and, and uh, develop a luxury tax. This winter, we've heard about the, the Tigers uh, balking at the idea of, again, going over the luxury tax number because the, the obligation, the percentage they have to pay goes up. The Yankees in recent years, Hal Steinbrenner has given voice to the idea that, you know, this team that spent so much money through the years, in the end, you know, year after year after year, they've cut into their profit with this luxury tax and they're not as uh, they're they're certainly not willing to do it. It's not something they take lightly, and there's no question it is something that drags down spending by teams. Do you think the tax itself, whatever the tax is, can bring some level of I don't know if parity or competitive balance that other sports have? In other words, you know my experience so much with football how. Everyone gets the same broadcast revenue, and the cap is self-regulating, and everyone's got a chance. And I know Bud Selig and even Manfred, sort of a, when teams that aren't the high-paying teams make the World Series or get in the playoffs, they take great pride and joy in that. Do you really see that opportunity for teams that don't compete at the highest levels of payroll? And, they, and you're right. They trumpet that every time right. that a small market team uh, goes into the playoffs. You didn't hear much trumpeting in the playoffs of 2016 <laughs> right. Right. because the Indians were the only team among the 16 teams lowest in payroll of the 30 teams uh, that made the playoffs. Let me repeat that so I can make that more clear. Of the teams with the bottom 16 payrolls in baseball, the Indians were the only ones to qualify for the postseason. Uh, and when you talk with uh, officials – with the small market teams, they say that in their eyes, the, the, uh, the disparity between the big market teams and the small market teams has only gotten greater in part because of these television deals that we've been talking about mm-hmm. and the revenue streams that they have access to, um, which is why you know, the, the small market teams were the driving force behind the push for the international draft. Right. They wanted uh, you know, a situation where if there was a – uh, you know, a, a player from Cuba who was going to get $70 million. The Indians can't spend on a player like that. You know, the small market teams can't consider something like that. Right. So they were hoping that the international draft would help uh, to improve that balance. And in lieu of that, it's not surprising that they would ask for, a, a, the small market teams would push for more of a competitive balance tax to keep these teams together. No one is going to pretend that it's ever going to be equal again. You know, the Tampa Bay Rays are never going to be on the same footing financially as the Yankees in terms of payroll. They just want even an outside chance to, you know, know, it's like quoting that scene from Dumb and Dumber, right? So you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) They just want a small chance to hang in there. And I guess that sort of begs the question when you talk about the, the, the trying to compete question, what can be done? It looks like. The players, this is a common thing with collective bargaining, I've found, Buster, is that the players will say on that issue, hey, that's your problem, right? So that's your problem. Owners, you figure it out. You figure out your revenue-sharing plans, your structural plans. Don't inhibit player spending with that. Is that going on here as well? There was an expectation of that going into these negotiations. I can tell you that. And you remember the last time we had a work stoppage in 94, 95, when the players went on yeah. strike. That really was because of an internal problem with the ownerships. 
uh, with the owners, the small market teams at war versus the big market teams. And in the end, the players, uh, you know, the, they, they were the ones asked to fix that, and, and they weren't willing, and that's why they went out on strike. Right. Some of the players they spoke with thought that that would happen more in this case. They have, uh, you know, haven't gotten as strong of a sense there. They feel like some of the players I've spoken with have felt all along that the owners are pliable in the situation, that, yes, they, uh, you know, if they, to, in order to give up the qualifying offer, they're going to want something in return. But I, I have not gotten the sense from the players that they feel like that they've been asked to take on an onerous burden, maybe the way that they would have expected six months ago. Last couple of questions, Buster, as we hit this deadline in, in about 10 hours. Are you, do you feel like there are other forces involved here? I mean, you have Tony Clark and his, his, his uh, sort of team advising him. You have Rob Manford, Dan Halem, the negotiators for the, for the owners. I mean, are there other sources? What about agents? They sort of seem to be sort of outside these negotiations and what I've covered so far. And baseball, as everyone knows, has some very powerful agents. Yeah, and it's very interesting because under the previous union head, the the, the agents had regular contact, uh, and they were asked and and uh, you know were involved in the process more. And I started to hear last year from agents where they were saying, you know what, we're just not really invited to the room. We're not mm-hmm. involved in the conversation, and so they stood by, I think, uh, and kept a distance for the most part over the last six months. And. Um, you know, read details and, and tried to find out some details about where they were going with a labor agreement. In the last couple of weeks, they become much more frantic because mm. when you go down below the one, the first layer of rhetoric, and you talk to people on both sides and ask them about the, you know, are there any major issues? What you get back is no, there really isn't. You know, this is something that should be figured out. Well, as we've gotten closer to this deadline and a deal's not done. The agents increasingly, some of them uh, that I've spoken with and some I've heard, I've been had conversations related to me, are basically been asking the question, what the heck is going on? Mm-hmm. Why are these uh, issues not being resolved to the point of working through their own players, A, to bring ideas to the table, and B, to find out what is happening? And I do think that they are having some influence. And I mentioned in a piece that I wrote on Wednesday morning that I think Tony Clark has a lot uh, at stake as we come down to the deadline here, because if a deal is not done, and believe me, if, if a deal isn't done and, and there's a lockout, I think Major League Baseball is going to want to extract some blood uh, because they feel like that these are not issues that should lead to a work stoppage. And you know this, is that uh, when players are asking questions about why their paycheck might be a risk, yeah. one of the, uh, some of the people they're going to be talking to are agents and the reviews on the handling of this negotiation from the agents are really bad. Yeah, and it's a tough shoes to fill, obviously. We talk not only about Michael, but Don Fear and, of course, Marvin Miller, some of the great figures of sports business and law right there. And just for people, just to insert this, if there is uh, a no agreement, the owners, it's within their labor rights to lock out the players, meaning no business no meetings, no free agent negotiations, no nothing. And again, as you mentioned, players do get nervous and agents have to deal with the players as the gateway to all of that. So with that in mind, here we are. What's your prediction? What issue do you think is the last holdout issue that gets resolved? And do you think it gets resolved by the deadline here tonight? The issue that you highlighted, the competitive balance uh, Mm -hmm. tax 
uh, you know, what I've gotten back from players is that is the big one at this point. And I think it will get resolved because I think so many people on both sides recognize what a great place baseball is in, and it really would be absurd if they couldn't figure out a solution. Uh, as you know, one agent said to me, it's not a bad thing to just keep it simple and keep the gravy, gravy train going. <laughs> and it does seem the issues, having dealt with football and basketball, these issues do seem relatively fixable compared to what we had in other sports. So, I agree with you. The deadline will spur action, and that seems to be both our feeling as uh, baseball approaches its midnight deadline. Buster, thanks so much. You're always a great voice on this. Really great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. All right, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.